0: This is Sean D'Souza, author of The Brain Audit, Why Customers Buy and Why They Don't. And you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the
1: smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer in 2016. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in modern marketing. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything discussed in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. Today, we're joined by Sean D'Souza. We're going to talk about his book, The Brain Audit, why customers buy and why they don't. Sean D'Souza is an author, copywriter, cartoonist, and speaker, and he's developed a system for getting into the heads of buyers called Psychotactics. Sean, congratulations on the Brain Audit, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you, Douglas.
1: So you're in New Zealand, and I'm on the east coast of the, the United States. So where I am, it's a little after 5 p.m. on a uh, Wednesday afternoon, and for you, it's it's Thursday morning. Is that right?
0: That's that's correct. We live in the future.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, people are always asking about the future, and I'm just going to say from now on, just, just call Sean because he, you know, he's the day ahead of us. That's correct. <laughs> what um, I uh, wanted to mention was uh, one quote from your book, uh, and then we'll get into it. As You say, now this book is not a magic potion, but it gives you a deep insight into what makes our brains respond and what causes our brains to ignore messages. Can you explain uh, a little bit about the brain audit and uh, what led you uh, the story that led to the writing of the book?
0: I didn't intend I didn't intend to write a book at all. I just uh wrote some notes that would help me sell my cartoons better. And so I transitioned I moved to New Zealand in the year 2000 and I was a cartoonist then and I decided at that point in time that I wanted to do marketing. I wanted to figure out how this whole thing about marketing worked. And so I started reading books on marketing because that's really what I wanted to market. I wanted to market the cartoons. And in the process, I figured out that I was very good at marketing. And I didn't figure it out myself. About 25 people had to tell me back to back before I thought, (laughs) okay, uh, maybe you are good at this stuff. That's when I sat down and I wrote down these points. And I still didn't know I had a book until I gave a presentation. I gave a presentation. A woman came up to me after the presentation and she said, can you give me the notes? And I said, I don't have any notes. I just have a presentation. And she was very insistent. And so I wrote a book that was just 16 pages long uh, with some amount of padding. It was 20 pages and amazingly, when we put it on the internet, people started to buy, and we didn't have any method of taking payment, um, so they wanted to buy it. Um, and that's the story. Today, it has sold over half a million dollars worth of just that one book.
1: Mm. Well, it's a it's a terrific book, and it was uh, written in a lively style, and uh, I certainly enjoyed reading it. And it was um, it was it was really uh very ingenious. And I I, I think it's one of those books that you, you do want to read maybe a second time. And then I remembered that at the beginning of the book, you said you should actually read this book three times. Is that right?
0: That's correct. And why and, is that? Well, it's also the way the brain works. So what happens is the brain shuts off a kind of valve every time you're taking in information so you get this feeling when you're in a presentation or when you're at a seminar and then the speaker is going on and on and on and at some point in time you've got enough information but you're still sitting in the audience it seems like you're getting more and more information and you keep making notes but in, in effect the brain stopped at some point in time and when you look at the brain audit, it has it covers these seven chapters, these seven red bags. Mm-hmm. And yet the moment you hit like the first uh, chapter where you think, "How am I going to apply this to my business? That's when your brain has efficient, has, has has been very efficient. It has stopped and it tried to focus, but you continue to read the chapters. So when the client reads the book for the second time, they get a completely different insight. And when they read it for the third time, they get a completely different insight. And clients write back and say, thank you for telling me to read it thrice because the first couple of times <laughs> I missed out on all this stuff.
1: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to do that now. Uh, and, I, and I look forward to it. Um, the, the, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the book reminded me a little bit of um, having a magician... <laughs> show you how they do their tricks. Yes. In other words, you were you were you would explain it and I was like, "Of course, absolutely, that's right. Why did I not think of that?" And 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 I and it made me think about all the other marketing and and sales uh you know, best practices uh and and how they all uh fit together. So, uh can you start can we start by explaining the idea of the conveyor belt and the bags which uh, you mentioned?
0: That's right. So, It's like this. Imagine that you're getting on a flight and you have to go to some other place. Now, imagine you put seven red bags on the flight and then you get to your destination and you're waiting for those seven red bags. Now, you get one red bag off the conveyor belt or the carousel and then you get the second one off, then the third one, then maybe there's an orange bag, a green bag, a purple bag, but then you get the fourth, the fifth, the sixth The question is, when do you leave the airport?
1: Well, after all my seven red bags are there. I'm not going to leave until they're there. Right, and you've got six.
0: And this is approximately what happens in the brain of the customer. What happens is we are so busy trying to uh, promote ourselves that we fail to understand that the brain is looking for all those seven red bags to be lifted off that conveyor belt. And it's only once they're all lifted – does the customer then get to the next stage, which is, I'm going to consider to buy this from now. Mm -hmm. So it's still not a question of, okay, I've removed all those bags, I'm going to buy it. But without those seven red bags being lifted off, what you have is someone saying, I need to think about it, I need to ask my brother, my sister, my uncle, I need They're backing off. And the reason why they're backing off is because of incomplete information. So the seven red bags are really... What are the elements that you need to clear or clarify in my brain before I make a decision?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just just—they're <laughs> just going to stand there watching the carousel go around waiting for that seventh bag. Let's walk through. I should also say that uh, every example that you gave of all seven bags, I've experienced. <laughs> so, you know, some people learn by doing. I learn by doing wrong. So- Everything you've described in the book, I was like, oh yeah, of course. That's why such and such a deal fell apart, or why this particular message on a in an ad or a website or a, a, a newsletter did, didn't work. So that's right. Yeah. Let's let's start with uh, the first bag and uh, walk the listener through uh, the the different bags and see if we can uh, get all our bags together.
0: Okay. You want me to do it? You're doing it.
1: Sure. Well, let's start with the first one, and it's called the problem. Yep.
0: Now, in the book, the first one is the problem. Um, and the first three are what we'll deal with. Uh, so there's the problem, the solution, and the target profile. Now, um, the first thing you need to know is that these three bags are clumped together because what they do is attract your attention. The next four bags, which we'll talk about later, they're what keep your attention. They're what reduce the risk factor. So there are two parts to this. The first is the attention getting, and the second part is the risk factor.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the problem is simply what problem am I solving? And when you're in business, it's natural to think of bringing out a benefit. So we stand up at a networking meeting or we uh, speak to someone in a, at a wherever when you know, we're presenting to someone and what we bring up is a solution mm-hmm. and the brain is not interested in a solution so if you had a simple line and this is a very simple line like is your computer running very slowly now uh, that's the kind of thing that would get your attention because if you passed it one day and you passed the second day and then you're sitting at your computer and you go, oh, damn, this computer is so slow. So what it's doing is it is getting your attention. Whereas if you say computer fix its center or something, it doesn't get your attention because what's happened there is you've not agitated the brain. You've not got the brain's attention. Mm -hmm. How do we know that this is not some marketing gimmick. How do we know that this relates to real life? Yeah, we know. Th-
1: you mentioned yeah. that our brains are more aroused by problems than solutions. Can you explain Correct. that part?
0: Yeah. So when we say you just walk down the street and uh, there are flowers, there are women, there are men, there are every, you know there there's so many things to distract you, and yet what you're looking in front of you. What you're seeing in front of you is dog poo. And, you know, everything else recedes away. It's like nothing else exists. You want to avoid that dog poo because you've stepped in it and it's yucky and it's Mm -hmm. sticky and smelly. Mm -hmm. So what your brain is doing is acting like a spam filter. It's getting rid of everything else. You see the same thing when you're driving down the road. You're driving, say, at, Uh, I don't know what's the speed limit in your country, but say in our country, it's 100. So you're driving at 90. Then you go at 95. Then you're 100, 105. And suddenly in the corner of your eye, you start, you you notice red and blue flashing lights. And immediately your brain is snapped to attention. You slow down. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a lot of other stuff. You know, the music's playing. Uh, there uh, are things to look at around. Those are all solutions, but your brain is focused on the problem. You know, it's, if you stood up right now, if you're sitting down and you stood up, you wouldn't slam into the door. And the reason why you don't do that is because the door represents a problem. You have to go past the problem to get to the solution. Mm-hmm. And, and most people start off with the solution, and that's why it falls flat. It doesn't get the attention.
1: Exactly. So why do marketers focus so much more on solutions than problems? Because it's what
0: we've been trained to do. We've been told to sell the benefits. Mm -hmm. So time and time again, you read most books um, and and it feels awkward, right? It feels like you're being negative. It feels like I'm bringing up this negative behavior. I feel slimy. But in reality, what the problem does is – it brings your attention to something that is missing. The only reason why someone is going to buy your product or service is because something is missing. Something is wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Uh, if uh, I go to the, the, you know, the car repair shop and he says, uh, your tires are fine now, but they're balding and they need to be fixed the next time around. Then that brings my attention to it. If he says, you know, uh, these are tires and they're a little old and it's not a problem, I'm not interested. It's like uh, it's inherent within us. The our brain has been designed to keep us out of trouble so that we can survive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's it. That's why we. Yeah. Sorry. Can you
1: explain the uh, idea of isolating a problem?
0: Well. This is where the target profile comes into play. Now, what most of us do is we do one of two things. The first is that we speak to an audience. And the second is that we try and get to a persona. So let me talk about the audience. So, an audience is a bunch of school teachers, for instance. So, you say, okay, my product is going to go to school teachers. Um, and then you can't you can't, re- you can't really bring out the problem because you're trying to speak to this vast number of people. So then what you do is you go, okay, let me try a persona. Let me talk about Kathy. And Kathy is a school teacher and she's 30 and she went to this university. And Kathy doesn't exist. In your brain, you're making up Kathy. But when you specifically have a target profile and there's a real Kathy and you can go out to lunch with her, that school teacher will tell you something specific and that isolates the problem so instead of the school teacher saying i have trouble at school she will say i have trouble with kids who have trauma at home and now what we have done is narrowed down the problem so that school teachers who have kids with trauma at you know because of whatever happens at home they're able to focus and go, that's me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes. most of us, yeah, most of us say, would you like to build a better website? No, I don't want to build a better website. That's just generic. That's an audience. But if you say, do you feel like you're often being shut out of your own website, where every time you have to fix something, you have to go back to a developer?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, now, that's a real pain. That's yeah. a, th- That's one specific point, but there are thousands or tens of thousands of people that feel that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what we have is we start off with the target profile. It's like, who am I speaking to? I'm not speaking to a bunch of people who read books. I'm speaking just to Douglas. And what is Douglas's issue with his computer? Douglas's issue with his computer is that uh, it reboots for no reason. So that's the problem, and the solution is that we'll make sure that your computer doesn't reboot without your knowledge. So what we have is a real person, a, a an isolated problem—not problems with your computer, but rebooting for no reason—and then a solution, which is you control the reboot. Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. And and that's why once you've established the problem, uh, the, then the solution is of of more interest to them.
0: Correct. Now the. The whole target profile thing is a, a chapter in itself and what you have to do is interview the person and literally use their words, not your words, their words. And that's the way when you're when you're selling something if you you know um, we say things in a certain way and uh, target profile says they they might say what seems like the same thing, but they're using different words. They're using different terminology. And more often than not, the target profile will use words which have lots of emotion. They will say things like, it drives me crazy every time my computer reboots. And we will write lines like, uh, do you feel frustrated when your computer reboots? Mm-hmm. But they will use words like, "You know, I feel like an idiot every time I have to go back to my developer. You know, they will use emotion-rich words because they feel their frustration, and, and, and we don't feel it.
1: Mm-hmm. But yet, when they use those terms, those are like a gift.
0: Yes, that's what a good copywriter should do. A good copywriter should shut up, listen, and transcribe. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, then we talk about the solution, and then there's the, the target profile. Do you want to say any more about that?
0: Yeah. So, as I said, the target profile is a real person. And I don't know how many times I have to stress this, but uh, people say my target – and they always come up with a persona. They come up with a fake person. And unless you can have lunch with that person, unless you can speak to that person on the phone, they're not a real person. And when you have that conversation with the real person, there are questions that you can ask them. And we have these target profile questions And they come up with the answers. You should record the answers. Uh, They will tell you what their specific problem is. They will isolate their problem. They will tell you the consequences of not dealing with that problem. And they will tell you what they think is a solution. And pretty much that's the way you go out to the rest of your audience. So if you're speaking to Amanda, Amanda will tell you all those things rather than you making it up in your own head. And when you speak... Uh, to other clients, uh, and uh, maybe Christabel won't put up a hand, but all the amenders in the audience will go, that's me, and that's the way to market. Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, it brings to mind another issue that I think is a challenge for companies and, and marketers, and that is that I don't think that companies know as much about their customers as they think they do. And there's this resistance to want to just go talk to them. And there was another uh, author I've had on the show, Martin Lindstrom, who wrote this book called – he's written a number of books, but the most recent one was called Small Data. And he was explaining that this over-reliance on big data to you know, f- uh, direct uh, marketing activities, they're really missing the opportunity because they're not getting a lot of insights by sitting down in a customer's house and just talking to them.
0: That's right. I mean P&G does this. You know, P&G when they th- they got so many things wrong when they were launching one of their products the the one that kind of uh, neutralized the the bad, bad um I can't remember the name oh, of the Febreze. brand. Febreze. Mm-hmm. Yes. P- P- I mean it's a billion dollar brand now. But they got it wrong for such a long time until they literally sat down with the customer in their house and they figured it out. I mean, people, you know, people would buy it and then they would keep it aside. They would go, you know, I'll use it when something's stinky. The the, the biggest problem they had was that uh, if you have a house full of cats and the house is, is, you know, you're like a cat lady, you can't smell those cats. You can't smell anything because what happens to the nose is it gets... Uh, it gets exhausted in a way it it um there is a specific term for that in the in the in the language but it doesn't smell it so you can't tell when you're smelly and you can't tell when your house is smelly so they had to work this out and there's a whole case study on how Febreze worked out what was the real problem and it was completely different from the problem that they were selling
1: oh that's interesting yeah i'll have to research that one. that sounds that sounds uh, interesting, but it's amazing how just that one idea of talking to the customer uh, kept them from uh, being successful for… Well, they
0: were literally getting rid of the brand because it wasn't working. It wasn't selling. Mm-hmm. And they had to get to this point. Uh, they had to deal with the woman who dealt with skunks. I mean, it got to that point.
1: <laughs> um so let's move on. But before we get on to the second half of what you described, can you explain the idea of the trigger and the, and the roller coaster effect?
0: So the trigger is when you put the problem, the solution, and the target profile together. When you string them together, what it does is ignites a part of your brain. Um, it uh, makes you curious. And the question that comes to your mind is, what do you mean by that? Or how do you do that? and every time you roll it out you can test it because when you have the problem the solution and the target profile and you roll them together your your client is going to ask you what do you mean by that or how do you do that if they don't say that what you've got is the kiss of death they say uh, oh how nice that's interesting <laughs> right. right and what they've done is they're not interested at all if they're interested Then, and and they're in, you know, they're a target profile. Uh, They should say, how do you do that? Or what do you mean by that? Because now it's showing that you've installed that curiosity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the trigger. The roller coaster is an extension of the problem. So we brought up the problem. Now, the thing with bringing up the problem is that it's almost like it's, It's like a red light. It brings it up and then you've got the solution, which is a green light and you've gone through. It doesn't get your attention unless you drive home the consequences and the consequences are really when you say, why is this problem so important? And so the roller coaster is literally that it's the ups and downs. It's like, what happens if if you don't do this? If you don't Uh, you know buy into this consulting what happens if you don't buy into this product what are the consequences so it takes you on this roller coaster journey so you've got the problem you've got the solution and you've been speaking to a target profile but you can't just go okay now let me get to whatever i'm selling you have to drive home the consequences
1: yeah the the consequences and the implications uh it just seems like it's um really gets to their emotions and 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 keeps them
0: that's right and what it tells the customer is that you have experienced this or you have experience with this so people you know if you're a skeptical it's very easy to say oh this is just marketing but this is not marketing it's it's my experience with it i know that this is how it unfolds this is what happens to you when if you if you go out there with bald tires here's what's going to happen next and mm-hmm. it's not a pretty sight. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't give me the consequences, ball tires mean nothing to me. They just mean an expense. It just means I have to spend some more money to replace my tires.
1: Yeah, I think in the book you mentioned. Um, I can't remember the term you use in New Zealand, but in the United States, they say a timing timing belt uh, in the engine. So after the uh, engine is uh, over a, you know, a certain number of miles, a, a lot of miles. You want to change that timing belt on those cars that have them. And so your mechanic says, well, you need to change that timing belt. And you're thinking, well, what happens if I don't? But when they go on to explain that it'll really uh, ruin your engine, if it doesn't work, they start to get your attention.
0: Exactly. And, you know, it's almost like a parent – that it's it's less marketing and it's more parent like. It's like if you do this, then that's what happens, and if that happens, then that happens. Mm-hmm, so yeah. just don't do this, mm-hmm. or or get a solution to fix this instant pro- this problem, so that you don't you don't get to that phase.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: so so to give you an example, for instance, now uh, when people get to the psychotactics, um, it's it's just like another site, right? It's it's another marketing site. But what is the problem? The problem that we're solving is that on Psychotactics, we don't give you more information. What we give you is skill. So what people are, they go, well, what does that mean? And, and you go, when you go to other sites, what you get is a lot of information. And then you get bonuses and you get stuff and you get more stuff, and you get more stuff. And what do you do with that? Nothing. When you do a psychotactics course, if it's a cartooning course, you become a cartoonist. If it's a writing course, you become a writer. If it's whatever, so what are the consequences of just buying information? And, and you can see when I'm giving you this example, you say, "Oh yeah, that that makes sense." You know, it's the not. I don't want more information. I really want a skill. That's why I, I bind to stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going through the mindset of the customer. The customer. Our clients have told us, don't, you know, I write a, I'll do a course and, and I'll give them a 59-page booklet and, they'll, and I'll say, you know, I'm sorry, I, did, I wanted to write a 100-page booklet. And they go, no, 59 pages covers everything you need to say. That's all we want. We want the skill. We don't want to read 200 pages. <laughs>
1: right, right, right. Well, let's move on to what I thought was my favorite part, which is the objections. And right. you you say um and I, I you know I've always noticed in sales that um you you're really not getting anywhere in sales until you do start to get objections. And so sure enough you said objections are not a a bad thing. They are not your enemy. What what do you what do you mean by that?
0: Well, the objections tell you that there is a, a risk factor. So if the person, if you go through the problem solution and target profile and people don't respond, they're never going to get to objections. But if they feel that somehow they have to be part of it, they have to buy into something, uh, now there are going to be objections. So let's say a friend called you up and said, let's go to the movies. Uh, I've got free tickets. Well, are you going to go? You know. So if, if you don't have anything, any interest in the movies, you go, no, I don't want to go. But if you want to go to the movie, you're going to say, uh, but at this time, there's no parking or, or I have to pick up the kids. Or so it might be raining. Now, yeah. So the point is, it's only when you have involvement that you have objections. And what we do in sales or in marketing is we try to hide the objections. And clients already have these objections. So
1: <laughs> It's the elephant in the room.
0: Right. So in the brain audit, I talk about how you have about five or six objections, and what you need to do is bring up the objections and kill them. Now, if you were to do a target profile interview and you ask the client what are your objections, they will tell you. And you know, interestingly, the objections and the testimonials are two sides of the same coin.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So objections are why I what's stopping me from buying into this stuff? But the testimonials are the flip side of the objections. So when you do testimonials, instead of just having testimonials, you have testimonials that address those specific objections.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
0: if the objection is that it's too expensive, the testimonials should start off with, I thought it was too expensive. I did want to buy this. Here's what I found.
1: Yeah. And uh, testimonials is bag number five. And uh, you have a very specific way that you uh, want to create these testimonials. Uh, It's what you call a reverse testimonial. But before we get to that, how is it that – explain how testimonials are like resumes.
0: Well, if you've seen a resume, you've probably never seen one which says, you know, I'm really bad at this. They're (laughs) always – I
1: would pay attention to that one probably.
0: They're always sugary sweet. And most testimonials – online or offline, are about how wonderful it was, how fabulous it was. And again, the brain is not attracted to testimonials like that. I mean, a greedy brain might be attracted to, I made 230000 last night. But on average, the brain is uh, encouraged by skepticism. So a client will say, you know, I really didn't want to attend Sean's workshop. It was too far away. I had to leave my seven-year-old son behind. It was not high on my agenda. Now, what that does is it gets your attention. This isn't someone pitching the workshop. This is someone saying, I didn't want to go there. I had all these things in the way. Mm -hmm. So what it does is it makes it a story. It makes it reality. It makes it a case study of a real person rather than The workshop was great. We had a good time. It was wonderful, and we learned so much. I'm so empowered.
1: (laughs) Sean is the greatest. Exactly. Um, Well, yeah, and so I think for the just uh, if if you if some of the listeners didn't get anything else from the book, the part about how to do how to get a testimonial, it it really has got me now looking at other testimonials. uh, and, and thinking oh no <laughs> yeah, it's not the right way you got to do it you got to do it uh from the brain on it, it really was it was good well, let's move on to the next one which is uh also very interesting and and when i read it then i realized oh yeah all these different well some companies do this and it's uh, and, and i realized it it's had a, an effect on me when i've been buying something and that's the risk reversal yes um
0: We have objections, testimonial, risk reversal, and uniqueness. They're all driven by this lack of, uh, or rather by this factor of risk. And you think, well, why have risk reversal in the middle of all these risk factors? And that is because most people tend to think of risk reversal as a money-back guarantee. But it's not a money-back guarantee. I already had my money before I gave it to you. So it's not like (laughs) a one month That's a
1: good way to put it. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, what they're saying is, I would like this stuff, but I'm not sure uh, to give. And and often you have to dig deep. So uh, right now we deliver most of our products um, online, but back in the year 2000 we were shipping them. We were shipping uh, books. We were shipping uh, CDs. And what we noticed was some of the people would refund, ask for a refund, and when they when the box came back, it looked like the books hadn't been touched. It looked like the CDs hadn't been touched. So the risk wasn't that they wanted their money back, but they were afraid to go through the CDs. They were afraid to go through the books. And so what we put in is a lawnmower guarantee.
1: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we said, you know, if you don't like this stuff, take your lawnmower, run it, run it over the books, run it over the CDs, put everything in a box and send it back. And With that, we saw a greater uh, number of people going through it. So the refund rate went down because the real risk was if I spoil this stuff, I'm not going to get my money back. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a money-back guarantee. It was that, you know, I'm afraid to touch it. And with Zappos, for instance, Zappos had a money-back guarantee for their shoes, but what they realized was that that wasn't the risk. People already had their money before they bought the shoes. The risk was that I have to go to the post office, put this in a box, mail it back, wait for the you know Zappos to re- reimburse me. So the real risk was I don't want to go through all this trouble. And so Zappos had both ways. You know, we'll ship it to you and if you don't like it. Just call us or just email us, and we'll take it back from your door. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find out the real risk. If you just say, "I'm going to slap on a money back guarantee," it's not going to work. I mean, it has, it might work. It's just very limited. That means you haven't really thought it through. And again, the target profile interview will tell you what they feel the real risk is, and mm-hmm. they will never say it's money. Almost no one will say. I would like my money back. They will say, here's my real risk.
1: Yeah, like they might say, I'm afraid I'm just not going to use it. Uh, or I'm going to feel like I'm I'm being wasteful. There's some other more emotional reason. Right. Right. Um, and then, so you get through all those steps, and it's still not enough. That's when you get into the uniqueness.
0: Right. And
1: uh, you talk about what makes you unique. And what surprised me, and of course I, I read this and thought, yeah, he's right, is when <laughs> – you're explaining about how companies try to look backwards in terms of their uniqueness, in terms of what they are right now. And can you explain why that that doesn't really work and why they should be looking forward?
0: Well, what people do is they go to other people and say, what is my uniqueness? So it's almost like I've been in business what do you think is my uniqueness? And people come up with a whole bunch of things. You been know, been in think, business a hundred years or yeah, high quality. Something like, yeah, that's not uniqueness. Yeah, what what is uniqueness is if you wanted the really good uniqueness, what you have to do is create it. So, um, what um, a company would do, or what a person should do, is say, "I'm an emperor." I go the t- top of the hill and I say, if I could change the city and I could make it unique, here's the one thing I would do. Mm-hmm. Now, we did this with our courses. We did this with our books. We did this with our workshop. And what we said was, we don't want to give you information. We want to give you a skill. So that didn't exist before. That didn't exist when we started out. It didn't exist for five or seven years of, of our the first seven years we tried to get there but the moment we put it down as this is what we want to get out of this that's when it changed and so now when clients come there they know specifically why they're buying our products even though they're more expensive so the courses that we sell are like three thousand dollars we sell out a course in 20 minutes so there you go. That's So So what it's doing is when you do all these six red bags before that, all you're doing is educating the customer. And if someone else makes a better story or has a better uniqueness, they go elsewhere. But if you are clear about your uniqueness, then the customer goes, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to buy this. And I know why. And not only do they have to justify it to themselves, but often you have to justify to your spouse or your accountant or someone
1: mm-hmm.
0: why you've made this decision. And when the uniqueness is clear, you go, okay, I'm going to buy a Fitbit because of this reason. I'm not going to buy it for, you know, I'm going to buy a, a, a Samsung for this reason versus a, an iPhone. And people make these decisions every day because it's positioned that way. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not random.
1: Yeah, you know, I've known of, uh, you know, uh, other agencies and, and, and organizations where they do this exercise as it relates to trying to determine their their brand or their uniqueness. And they would, you know, throw out a lot of facts about the company and put them up on paper and put them up on the wall and then go back and try to find the ones that were just unique to them. And after reading this, I started to realize why that is, uh, it's got an inherent flaw uh and why you should start to look forward and say you know what do we want to do differently from everyone else what's Correct. what's the dream you have uh for your customer and that's where you say um, the uniqueness actually has to be invented
0: yes so volvo wasn't the safest car company in the world but it still they isn't, did but they yeah. own it yeah yeah but they own it and and the point is then they invented stuff. They invented the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the airbag. They definitely invented the uh, seat belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has changed uh, road accidents. I mean, it has gone down incredibly. You know, people don't like it, but it doesn't It doesn't change the fact that fewer people die on the, on the, on the roads these days. Mm-hmm.
1: But that's a great example where they said, this is where we want to go. And then that informed a lot of their... Uh, business decisions. And I'm not just talking about <laughs> marketing. It was, you know, what what was the direction? What was the strategy they were going in uh, based on that you know, that flag they planted on that hill of safety? Correct, correct. So, Sean, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: Target profile. If you are trying to sit there and write stuff yourself, if you're trying to create the marketing message by yourself, you're just wasting your time. Because your customer already has the problem. They already have the emotion. They already have all of these bags listed out for you. They know what would make your company unique. They know what objections they have. They know the risk. They know everything. And when I say they, I'm using the wrong part of the English language. I mean one person. Go and find your Amanda. Go and find that one person, the real-life person, and if you can't speak to them over lunch, and if you have made it up in your head, then you've got the wrong idea. Mm, great, but target great profile, yeah. yeah, target profile is what you need. Um, you can. There are some articles on the psychotactic site about target profile, but there are questions in the book as well. If If I'm not yeah. mistaken,
1: yeah, oh yeah, and uh, uh, lots of uh, very helpful checklists at the very end. Um, so, Sean, what books have inspired your work and career?
0: the this is the interesting part because the 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 thing that changed us from cartooning to marketing was this whole factor of uniqueness. Uh, I read the book "Good to Great" by Jim Collins, mm-hmm. and he asked, "What can you be the best in the world at?" And today we are the best in the world at taking someone who is not good at a skill and within twelve weeks or sixteen weeks or whatever the duration of the course they become exactly what we end up. And we're not talking about, you know, so when you do a course, any other place, uh, they blame the student. They say, well, this wasn't a very bright student. In our case, we don't believe in bad students. We believe in bad teachers. So so what has happened is that book changed the way we looked at, at skill development to the point where you don't need ten thousand hours. You don't need five. You don't need a thousand hours.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably you could in I don't know in say for instance the article writing course. People spend two hours a day of I don't know 10, 10, 10 hours a week maybe uh, and over twelve weeks. So how much is that? Uh, One hundred twenty hours, uh, I think.
1: Yeah. Well. We'll put the math in the show notes. No, I'm just kidding. What was it? Uh, two hours times <laughs> so seven, it's ten, 14 ten, ten times hours.
0: 12? So, so it's about okay. 40 hours, 40 hours a month, 40 to 50 hours a month into three months. So that's 150 hours. In 150 hours, somebody who says, I can't write an article well, and I cannot write it without spending all day, is able to write in 90 minutes and is able to write an outstanding article. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's So that is the benchmark that this book good to great set out for for us. It said, what can you be the best in the world at? And that's what we're really good at doing. Mm,
1: and it's a great book. Sean, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book?
0: You can go to psychotactics.com, but better still, if you want to start reading the brain audit, you want an excerpt of the first chapter, and it's quite substantial, you can go to psychotactics.com slash X brain. That's the letter X B R A I N.
1: Okay, and we'll make sure to include that link specifically as well as your homepage on our show notes. Okay. So the name of the book is The Brain Audit, Why Customers Buy and Why They Don't. The author is Sean D'Souza. Sean, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: And that closes the book on Episode 95 of the Marketing Book Podcast. But please don't let the end of this episode be the end of what you can learn about modern marketing. Visit marketingbookpodcast.com for links to all the things we talked about in this interview and free marketing guides from my agency. And while there, make sure to sign up for the Marketing Book Podcast newsletter so you never miss an episode. Hey, I really love hearing from listeners, and I'd like to hear from you. Just go to marketingbookpodcast.com and send a message or connect with me on LinkedIn. My name, again, is Douglas Burdett. Or send me a tweet at my Twitter handle, at Book. And please join us next time as we talk with Kim Walsh Phillips about the book she has co-authored with Dan Kennedy, The No BS Guide to Direct Response Social Media Marketing, the ultimate no-holes-barred guide to producing measurable, monetizable results with social media marketing. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.